Radio Mano Papachango. Chris and the whole tangentially speaking community. This is uh, Mike, uh, also known as uh, Ride Farm Swing on the Reddit, uh, the subreddit of tangentially speaking. I'm calling in from a beautiful piece of land just south of Nanaimo, BC on Vancouver Island, Canada. What can only be described as the nicest part of Canada in uh, an area in transition. Uh, where I'm standing at one point was beautiful, pristine land owned by or, or occupied by the First Nations. And then it was taken over and logged in the 1800s and then turned into a gravel pit in the 1980s. And then after the gravel was fully extracted, the area started to regrow naturally with first series succession plants of cottonwood trees. And then I took it over and now I've been building it with my partner into a uh, a lifeboat that we really hope to continue helping the community with. Uh, I was commenting on how I was a little remiss that I, I wouldn't be able to fit in doing our orchard expansion this year due to other financial constraints and, and Chris said and generously offered to help purchase the trees for the expansion which was just the wildest thing that's happened to me on the internet in all my life which uh, as an early or a late late vintage millennial, it's been a while. So, but yeah, uh, it's pretty amazing. Chris and all of the tangentially speaking community members who are donating to the podcast are, are helping uh, build an orchard on this land, and uh, I'm ever thankful for it. We always give away almost all of our produce that we don't use ourselves. Uh, the whole factor of being a business just really isn't in our whole way of life. So I just wanted to say thank you. And this podcast has inspired me. And the Reddit community uh, that the podcast brings about is some of the most interesting conversations where... It is such a rare thing to have somebody get upset and go off the rails and everybody just uh, intelligently discusses things and it's a wonderful place. But much like Wallace J. Nichols said in the podcast, episode 325, you need to find your place and spend the rest of your days making it perfect. That's what I'm doing here. And uh, the community's helping, so thank you. If you're on Vancouver Island... Swing on by, look me up on Reddit. I'll certainly hook you up some delicious, delicious produce. And in a few years, the fruit of these trees will always be available to you. Thank you all. All the best. Bye now. Apologies if I've already played that. I went back and looked at the last few episodes and I, I didn't see where I played it. And it's strange because a lot of these things... You know, I, I listen to them myself, and I imagine playing them for you. And then um, I don't remember if I really did or if I just imagined it. It's one of the problems with life, isn't it?
you know, it's like you imagine a conversation with someone and then you see them and you say, remember when I told you about so-and-so? And they're like, no, you never told me about so-and-so. And you're like, God damn it, I remember telling you about so-and-so. Yeah, we live in these um, liminal spaces, right, between what we imagine, what we remember, what we imagine we remember, what we remember imagining. <laughs> and then somewhere in there is what really happens. Maybe. Is there? Is there an objective reality or is it all just what we remember and imagine we remember and remember we imagine? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I sent that guy some money to plant uh, some fruit trees so he could get them in the ground before the the heavy rains came. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess with planting, um, timing is, is a big issue. So, you know, I, I, I'm a utilitarian. I, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but I think that's what it is. It's a philosophy of trying to get the most good from something, whether that good necessarily goes to oneself or to someone else, is a secondary issue. The more important issue is that we get the most from it. So a utilitarian would say that uh, it's better for a starving man to have a burger than a not starving man because the it might save the starving man's life, whereas for me, it, what it avoids a little hunger pang or something. Um, and I've always felt that, and I don't mean this in any sort of self-ennobling way. And I didn't play that thing so that you know you could hear what a great guy I am. I played that so that you would understand um, that you guys who listen to this podcast. Um, particularly those of you who support it financially, are creating a pool. Uh, and a lot of what's in that pool runs off for other people. Um, and again, please, I, I, this is such a hard thing to talk about because I know I sound like I'm ringing my own bell here and talking about Myself, and I don't mean to be doing that. I'm trying to say that what you give to me, a lot of it goes on to other people. And that's not because I'm cool. It's because that's the way the world should work. And that's the way my world works. And it works that way because I have received so much of that. And I'm receiving so much of it now. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> pour some out for the homies, right? It, it, except not the dead homies, the homies who need some help now, um, who can benefit. So throw in some money uh, towards somebody who's growing food and they get an extra harvest out of that, that multiplies. That's a force multiplier. Um, and also someone who themselves is generous. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say, that I have received so much generosity in my life and the implicit understanding was that they were being generous to me because they sensed that I was someone who was going to let that flow through me toward others. Um, so those of you who are supporting the podcast without understanding, I just want to throw one of these up every once in a while so you know that it's legit. Um, okay, enough about that. This episode is with a really interesting cat that I met in Montana at the 
Budokan, uh, I don't want to say resort, <laughs> the camp, the, the uh, retreat outside of Whitefish uh, with Cameron Shane, uh, Shanji Ribeiro, Ribeiro was there teaching. Uh, he's a, I think, seven or eight time world champion jujitsu master, um, which in itself is cool. But to be honest with you, that's not enough for me to want to have him on the podcast. What made me want to have him on the podcast is that he is not only a master at his art, but he is an embodiment of the humility and the kindness and the generosity and the strength of character um, and and honestly, the gentleness uh, that many of these martial arts are founded upon and oriented toward. Uh, he is a living, breathing embodiment of what people who study jujitsu aspire to be. And it's something Rogan always said to me, and he, he said to lots of people, um, that you, there's no bullshit in jujitsu, and so sometimes you know when I've said to him, "How do you keep your feet on the ground with everybody looking over your shoulder, like questioning everything you say, and and all this money and all this attention and all this pressure and all this stuff?" And he often refers to jujitsu and how it is a practice. It's a physical practice, but because of the way it's taught and learned, there is a necessary humility because in order to learn, you need to practice with someone who's better than you. And you're trusting them not to break your arm and to adjust their strength to your weaknesses. And that's a very humbling experience. And Everyone does it all up the line. So even the really good teachers, the really good um, practitioners, for them to learn, they need to be with someone who's a little ahead of them and uh, at least a little ahead of them. And so there's um, a built-in humility uh, in the study of most martial arts, I've I've experienced it in in the ones I've studied. I've never studied jujitsu, but certainly in Aikido um, and in the kung fu that I studied as a kid, there was a you know you're always on the edge of somebody being able to hurt you if they're just a little careless or a little aggressive or you know you're trusting them to to be hard enough on you that you're learning, but also to um, not be aggressive and, and not intentionally damage you in any way. So it's, a, it's an interesting place to be. And anyway, this guy, Shanji, is that. He is a, a sweet, smart, kind, thoughtful dude who could just, you know, rip your head off. But he doesn't, thankfully. He, or at least he didn't mine. Um, wonderful guy. Also extremely good looking, very sexy. Um, fucking annoying. I gotta say, God damn it, dude. (laughs) 
and, and just beautiful. He's a beautiful man. All right, enough of that. Uh, thank you for listening to this. Thank you for tuning in. I'm still in Antigua, Guatemala, going to be here for another month, I think. And then I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know. It's so hard to make plans these days. Um, I had an interesting thing. I just recorded a video Roma for supporters of the podcast. So if you're a financial supporter of the podcast, uh, you can go to the subscriber forum and or you probably already got an email talking about that. Uh, there are really good questions this month, by the way, really good issues to talk about. And um, one of them, you know, as always happens, is about uh, relationships and how we get in them and we get into relationships with people we're not really compatible with and, and then, you know, and then it's so hard to extract yourself and so on. Anyway, I was thinking about that and in the current context of my life where I'm using Airbnb a fair bit. And I was thinking that Airbnb is kind of like a dating app for physical spaces, um, because you look at Airbnb and you see these photos, and they're the best possible photos of the place, right? They're the photos taken when the light's streaming in, late afternoon, everything's lit up in this golden glow, and it's everything super clean, and the furniture was new when they took the pictures, and um, so it's presented in the best possible way. The things that are mentioned are the things that are great, so they might say, you know, hot water, but they don't say the water pressure sucks or that the bathroom smells weird or whatever. And so you you look at it and you're like, fuck yeah, I'll sleep in that bed. I'll sleep the fuck out of that bed. And then you sign up. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at for a place right now to be in for a month. That's a commitment. You're going to live there for a month. But you can't see it first. You can't go there. You just have to rely on the photos and the description and some reviews from people you don't know. And then you go there. You sign up. You send in your money. You make your commitment. And then you go there and it's like, oh, man, there's construction going on across the street. And this kitchen smells really weird and the fridge doesn't work and it's really loud there's somebody upstairs stomping on the floor that's what happens you know we we get into these things based upon incomplete information or information that's presented in the most positive possible way and then you're into it and now you know the person and you love if you're a decent person you see the humanity in everyone so you don't want to hurt anybody you don't want to cause damage it's so hard somebody wrote in on reddit also is going through a breakup and it's just so hard there's no good advice really the only good advice is that you know, because this this guy broke up with his girlfriend, and then he's like, "Man, I miss her so much, and I and I feel so bad for her, and I know she's suffering so much, and I love her, and yeah, there's there's no way to make that go away. There's no way to deny that. But the one thing I've learned is that 
if you come to a point where you're, you know, in your heart that this isn't working, then it isn't working. And it's, uh, I mean, maybe if you go to therapy or something like that, it can, it can recover. But I think in my own experience, I, I spent a lot of my 20s going back and forth in and out of a particular relationship. And the thing is, I would have saved so much time and so much heartbreak and I would have grown so much faster if I had trusted myself the first time. The first time I hit a wall with that particular woman and said, man, I love her. I love her like I've never loved anyone, but this can't work. We are just not compatible. The sex is great. She's gorgeous. She's funny. She's smart. She's, but we just get on each other's nerves too much. Um, I wish I trusted myself. I would have saved a lot of time and energy. I think that's the only advice. So this guy, you know, he sort of realized he didn't want to be there. And now he's having second thoughts now that he's not there. And again, it's that quote I, I think I've said recently that, um, what is it? Nostalgia is memory without the details. Or I might just say without the negative details, right? Without the annoyances and... I watched an episode of Black Mirror the other night called Hang the DJ. Highly recommended if you have Netflix. Really interesting. It's about a dating app um, that sort of hooks you up with people and, and learns from each failed relationship and sort of fine-tunes its predictions. It's like an AI dating app. Really interesting episode. I think it's season four, episode four. If you're into Black Mirror, check it out. It's not one of the dystopian, you know, you won't be able to sleep for a week after watching it episodes. It's uh, it's more uh, uplifting, but equally brilliant. All right, that's enough for me. This is Shanji. I, I, I'm never sure I'm pronouncing his name right. Shanji, uh, which is short for Alexander. So it's the Xander end of the name that's pronounced in Brazilian Portuguese. Hibero. Uh, spelled with an R, like Ribeiro. So you can Google the dude if you'd like to. If you're in Austin, and who the fuck doesn't live in Austin these days? It seems like everybody's moved to Austin. Um, but anyway, if you're down there, he's just opened a school, a jiu-jitsu school. So if you want to study with him and you're in Austin, uh, drop in there and tell him Uncle Chris sent you. I'm going to play you out with a song that uh, a listener named uh, Stephanie Strange sent me just recently. Uh, I'll read you her email. Hey, Chris, my name is Stephanie Strange. I lead a band called Strange and the Familiars out of Portland, Oregon. Um, for the last several years, I've been teaching at one of the nation's only art schools for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Through my work there, the, the school's called FAME, P-H-A-M-E. Um, I connected with Crystal Kralian, uh, an autistic student interested in video animation. Crystal and I decided to create art together. We created a, we collaborated on a stop-motion animated video via Zoom calls, which has become the official music video for the single by Strange and the Familiars called Pi. Pi is a song about hope, perseverance, 
and people coming together in difficult times. Uh, you can find this video on YouTube. Uh, just go to uh, YouTube and look for Pi and Strange and the Familiars, and it'll pop up. I'll also put a, a link in the episode description, and you can uh, check out Stephanie and the Familiars' other work at uh, strangeandthefamiliars.com. This is Pi by Strange and the Familiars. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you again soon. You said, keep on keeping on, baby. You said, keep on keeping on, my friend. You said, keep on keeping on, darling. We'll get there in the end. Oh, it will come sooner or later, yeah. Oh, it will come sooner than later, yeah. sweeter than candy yeah. life is finer than the finest wine oh yeah life is a bowl full of cherries life is sweeter than pie and pie's pretty hard to beat so keep on keeping on baby yeah just keep on keeping on, my friend, oh yeah. Keep on keeping on, darling, we'll get there in the end. Oh, it will come sooner or later, yeah. Oh, it will come sooner than later, yeah. Cause life is sweet. pretty hard to beat I think we all know that pie's pretty damn hard to beat Tangentially speaking, uh, this this is my favorite thing when I meet somebody who I had no idea I was going to meet mm-hmm. and get a chance to hang out and talk a little bit. This is uh, a real privilege for me. It's it's the main reason I do this podcast, honestly. But thank you so much. I had the, so much um, 
you know, everybody was talking about you should because I, when I talk to people, especially older people that I consider them my mentors, and and of course I live in a world of you know the macho, the fighting world, and then, and I love ideas, I love science, yeah, I love understanding why things the way they are, more what's happening, yeah. you know, and that's my that's my creative side and why I I love Budokan so much, for example, because now I can put the why that position has a leverage the way it does. Right. You know, and, and, and come here and, and, you know, I start reading a book, I'm halfway through it and and just already seeing that my ideas and the way that I even like to, to, to exchange ideas, and that's not really what I think, but just the way, you know, science is put, I'm like, whoa, that, that makes totally sense. And in me, myself, being single for nine years, um, I love the, the female, I love women, uh, it just makes me think what type of relationship I want to be myself in. Yeah. Like, people ask me like this, oh, you're 40 years old and you're not in a relationship for nine years. I'm like, well, because the world has changed so much. Yeah. And in a way, I don't want to go away from my instincts because mm. that's what made me successful as a fighter. It was my instinct. Really? was the core of who I am, you know? So you think... You had the key to success as a fighter already before the training because um, of your instincts? Well, I think it's play a big role. I thought, of course, there's always, you know, the success of fighting is training, skill. Uh, when I start training jiu-jitsu, um, the teachers go, hey, you know, jiu-jitsu is based on leverage, so a small man can beat a big man. I'm like, whoa, how does that work? You know, because mm. you have the whole idea. Of course, we have David and Goliath, whatever. Did but, you consider yourself a small man? I mean, you're, uh, you're that's six the feet that, something? Well, I was 10 years old. Yeah. But, but uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, the concept yeah. of what is in jiu-jitsu, you know, was a leverage. You right. Know, Alavanka, that's how it worked. I'm uh -huh. like, oh, this is, this is powerful. Yeah. And, and it became very natural for me because I, for some reason, I had an instinct of protection very early mm. on because when they put me in certain positions, I, I felt claustrophobic. Mm. And I'm like... I don't want this ever to happen to me again. So that like just created a little ball game. And right away, like my first eight years as a, like a young, you know, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 18 years old, for almost eight years, I was undefeated in competition. And I always felt I was doing less than all the people because I saw a lot of people, oh, that's how you gotta work hard. That's how you gotta do it. And I still have to go to school. I still have to, you know, please mom and dad and things like that. And I felt a lot of kids were way stronger than me, but they weren't better. So I think my instinct of protection really, really helped me. And when you're in fighting, there's no time to think. You know, mm. fighting, all the thinking has to be during camp. Because right. if you stop for a second, oh, maybe he's going to throw a punch. The punch is already thrown in you mm. out. And I think in, in jiu-jitsu, uh, it's a lot of that, a lot of dominance. You know, I loved what you said that. There, you know, it's about dominate, but it wasn't until I developed within almost like a black belt that I understand that, that idea of dominance um, and submission in a way of like someone giving up. Yeah. You know, we call it breaking. Are you breaking him? I was like, what the heck is breaking him? I don't understand what that means. It means when the person just lost the urge to fight, and that's when I just run through them and, and dominate them with a lot of toxicality. How do you say it? Toxicity. Toxicity, you know. Yeah. Toxicality works too, actually. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 I just interviewed a guy last week, um, kind of similar to you in some ways. He's a NFL, I don't know if I mentioned him last mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you didn't mention him. Tony Gonzalez, super elite athlete. Um, 
you know, one of the best who's ever played his position, similar to you, world champion, undefeated for so long. And something I've already noticed that you have in common with him is this, there's this calm. There's like, I've noticed being around elite athletes, there's calm. It's mm -hmm. a strange thing because you see them on the field or, you know, it's all this incredible physical energy. But then when you're around them off, there's like really peaceful. Mm -hmm. Is that because you like you're releasing all that energy in your workout, in your mm -hmm. sport? And mm -hmm. so or is it that you're so accustomed to energy that you just control it? Mm -hmm. very naturally or like do you know what I'm talking yeah, about I think, do you I, see that in, in your colleagues yes I, I think there's a lot to do with personality also like if you mm -hmm. if you see my brother like that guy's intense he doesn't turn off ah uh, okay you know and I think Jiu Jitsu in sports itself there's well you can say better than me about hormones and the way what does to your body you know but, but in my case it's just that Living and fighting is just a chaotic thing, you know, it's just so chaotic and it's so dangerous in a way um, that when I'm out of that, I want to completely disassociate from that because mm -hmm. I actually want to miss it. Right. You know, so, and also I like to be kind. I like to, um, not that I like to show the kind sign of a fighter, but it's just, just who I am, you know? I don't, I'm not afraid to, to show empathy. I'm not afraid to be the one doing the dishes. I'm not right. afraid to like come to like, hey man, how you feel? And give him a hug. Is that because you feel like you have nothing to prove because yeah, in that macho exactly. world you've like yeah. kicked all the maybe, ass? Maybe I think that. that's the piece. I think that's the piece. Right. Because you, you get nothing to prove. Um, you know, like we do so much in fighting, especially football players. They, it's like testosterone level of football players because they always like, because in football it's like, it's a build-up moment, you know. If you look mm -hmm. at, at a play, it's like a six-second play. Right. right. So they build, they build, they build, and then explode, the boom, and then there's a release, and then they're like, ah. You know, every play is like a win. Yeah. For us, in fact, fighters, that sensation of like, I accomplished something is not until you're actually in the fight. Right. You know, if you look at football, there's always like great moments. Like every, every play is like, you know, they, they go out, they bust, they take the helmet and they take pictures, they feel happy. No, in fighting, there isn't that. Mm. Every day is a struggle. Some days you're like, oh yeah, I'm the shit. Next thing, next thing you know, you'll be knocked out or you're being submitted. So uh, the thing about martial arts is it's a humbling experience every single day. Yeah. Maybe different than every single other sport. Because when yeah. you think you're the... You're the big gorilla, there's a bigger gorilla than you, you know? That's something Tony talked about, uh, how he was such a badass in high school and mm -hmm. college, and then he got to the pros, and it's like, whoa, everybody's a badass. Everybody's a badass. Like, man. for the first time in his life, he was getting his ass kicked. Yeah. Whereas before, it was like a man playing against boys, and yeah. now suddenly, uh-oh, everyone's a man. Yeah, and I felt that when I got my black belt, you know, because until the black belt, I've worn a lot of things, you know? Of course, when I got the black belt, I still, I still kept winning, but I felt the difference because I'm a, I'm a baby black belt versus mm -hmm. like a seasoned black belt. And sometimes I felt I was better than them, but they have the experience. Yeah. I was like, that dude, he cheated me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was so calm and he thought I had him that he had me. Yeah. You know, and then that really played a big role on, on growing up. I say, like, man, every, every man is the danger man. In this, you in have this an world. older brother? I have an older brother. And he's also a fighter, he's right? He's also a fighter. His name is Saulo. He's a five-time world champion in five different divisions. Uh, we are the winningest brothers, blood brothers in the sport. How much older than you? He's uh, six and a half years. So he wasn't beating you up when you were a kid? Um, he was always kind of like bully-ish in a way. Like 
Well, first he, um, because of the age difference, when I grew up, he was already like old, like pick on girls, so he didn't care about his brother. <laughs> but he was always very kind, very protective. Yeah. And then I started jujitsu. I was ten, but then next year he moved to Rio to go to college. Mm. So there was a hiatus over there, and of course he goes to Rio, and then you know Rio de Janeiro, and he ways forget his little brother. Um, you know, that's when I, I got yeah. to really connect with my sister. So uh-huh. that was something really cool because she she was kind of hating me a little bit because I was the youngest and now she wasn't the baby anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, hating in a good way, right? Like brother hate. Yeah. Uh, but then she took me and then I had a really good, I have a really good relationship with her. Uh, you know, the kindness of the woman growing me, me and my mom and her. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad has always been the, the, the father figure. It was more like a figure than someone putting their hands on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my brother would come, you know, vacations here and there um, to to go visit his friends. But of course, he wants to pussy versus hanging out with the family. So he'll be home like, you know. And he's busy. He's in college and he's fighting. Yeah. Successful. You know, and at the, t- at the time, he wasn't really um, winning a lot. Oh. Uh, wasn't until 97, 96, when he uh, he didn't like, he didn't get to go to the medal, but he closed out the division. So in 96 was his first world title, like more like an honorable world title. And I was 14. And I was so disassociated with jiu-jitsu at the time because I, I did bad in school. I didn't even know he was doing that. Wow. That's how disconnected it was, you know. Right. I kind of like, and after a while I was like, why did he even like care to tell me? You know what I mean? Like I felt like he was just too busy. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to blame him for not being busy with the beauties of Rio de Janeiro, whatever he was doing. Sure. Uh, wasn't until one of the trips he came in. And I was a bigger, and I was training. He's like, "Holy shit!" And then I didn't call his attention. And he's like, "Hey, I think my brother should have moved to Rio." And then he started like uh, become like a brother because he saw like potential, right? You know. And then that was a, when I first came to America. I competed in Hawaii, and I won Pan American Championships in Hawaii. I was seventeen. Well, I was sixteen. I competed worlds. I was a juvenile when I competed as adult, and I took third. And now the whole world, like, oh, wow, that's Sal's brother. And Sal was then, that year he won. Like, then he was like, okay, I'm, I'm the champion, legit, legit, legitimate champion. And then I was 16, you know, and I was fighting at the time in a division. There was this, this super famous little kid from the favela. So all eyes on me. And I'm like, just chilling. Like, you're from a favela? No, the guy oh, that I was oh, fighting. So he was very fighting, famous. I yeah. See. Okay. You know, he was very famous in right. magazines already and stuff right. like that. I'm like, holy shit. But I end up taking third. And, my, and the guy that beat me did the final with him. But it was like a lot of attention right. around. He's super excited. I took third. He won himself. You know, and the year after, we went to Hawaii together. And I won. And he won. And then, and then he was like, he needs to move to Rio. And then I just packed my bag and moved. Right. But I still did college. My, the whole deal wasn't jujitsu, really. You know, it was the whole excitement to be with my brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and go to college. And because of jujitsu, there was these kids. They owned this college, very good college in, in Rio, Gama Filho, and they gave me like a half like sponsorship. So I had like you know I pay half and I got to go to school. You know, but he was a little bully. You know, I would go to the, the beach with my little sunga, and he's like, "No, bro, it's not a fucking sunga. I got a Bermuda. Like, you're not cool." So I, I go like, "Okay, tough love." Everybody's like wearing <laughs> cool love. stuff, and I'm wearing this Amazonian thing. But you know, it's just how you grow. You know, pressure yeah. creates diamonds. 
Do you, uh, are there other athletes in your family? Your dad? No, no. My dad, uh, my dad was a bank manager, big man, bank man. He plays soccer, but not like, nothing like that. I wasn't a sport guy at all. Uh, he was just a businessman, traveled from the bank until he, he quit the bank and built his own business. And then we stayed in the Amazon. And that's when he started to introduce to. Right. Uh, no, no, no. My whole family is just businessmen, business people. I have a huge family. I have like, freaking like 45 cousins um but uh yeah we're the only athletes in the family are you do you think you would have done jujitsu if your brother hadn't i think maybe i see to a point i would um and wasn't actually he was doing jujitsu already because he always did judo you know and stuff like that and he tried jujitsu wasn't until like eight months he was in jujitsu that he actually invited me hmm. But a funny thing that I always grapple because we had this grass in my condo that every time, like, we literally just get the kids, okay, let's go to the grass and let's do stuff. And then we just grapple because we did, like, headlocks and stuff like that. And because I did a little bit of judo in, in like, elementary school. Mm-hmm. So that was my grappling until this kid, like, you know, he choked me from the front even. It wasn't even a choke. He hurt my neck. And I'm like, fuck this kid. And my brother, like, hey, what happened? I said, well, this kid said, well, of course, you're so weak. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you should try jiu-jitsu. I'm like, what the hell is jiu-jitsu? Oh, come with me. And then I came. That's how I started. How is Brazilian jiu-jitsu different from non-Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Well, it's a long story. Still, there's like a, a, a big conversation about where it comes from, right? So uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the interpretation of the Gracie family, of the original judo, and the combat sports uh, or the combat lifestyle samurais from Japan, right? Which mainly our main focus is groundwork. Like every single sport in the world, if you put your back on the floor, you, you're done, right? Judo, wrestling, Greco-Roman. So Jiu-Jitsu is the only one, the Brazilian interpretation is the only one that like, if my back's on the floor, it's not a problem because right. I use leverage, I use momentum, I use my guard, I can do submissions from the bottom and things like this. And what the interpretation of uh, jiu-jitsu, you know, just do a brief story. So jiu-jitsu were what the samurais did. Everything in jitsu or jutsu was uh, combative. You know, they have swords, they had, you know, knives and stuff like that. And then Jigoro Kano, uh, there was a little hiatus there because he turned jiu-jitsu into judo. So he took all the traumatic part of jiu-jitsu and turned into the takedown art. Okay, right. Now he's an educational system. He made belts. He made a system. But there was not non-combative, really. It was more like trolls and stuff. And some of the Japanese, like, hey, I cannot do this. I don't adapt to this. And then he, Jigoro Kano would be like, well, if you don't adapt to this, you don't belong here. So a lot of Japanese people, and Jigoro Kano also, you know, even they call Kano Jitsu, Kano Jiu-Jitsu for a while until they turn into Judo. The, the interpretation wasn't until, um, you know, but of course, if you look at groundwork, probably there's a lot of stuff going on at the time. You know, you can't say we created. Our interpretation of that specific style became notorious. Mm. And that's how I see it. You can't say that, Hmm. You know, wrestling, there's ground game, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, like, catch wrestling is also very old, too, even though it looked fake. Um, so, and then the family came to Brazil. That's when the Gracie family got involved with uh, in the story there back then, with the romantic story, with that lineage, uh, is that, you know, Conjicoma, Matsuo Maeda taught Carlos, and then Carlos, 
you know, taught Alu, and then and this Ad- is what, like the 1930s, 40s, yeah, something about like that? this, yeah, mm-hmm. 1914, 20s. Yeah, I think the first official academy that's known for the media uh, is 1925. But there's also a study that there were other Japanese already in Brazil developing uh-huh. the groundwork of jiu-jitsu. Right. You know, and that, that's how it started, you know. So, uh, and that's given a lot to Helio Gracie. Helio Gracie, again, we don't know. I don't, I can't, I trust it. You know, just like, oh, you. But they're like legends at the this legends. point. So yeah. the legends that Helio was very sick and very young and very little. Uh-huh. And. Apparently, the jiu-jitsu that Carlos taught was very big. It was almost like a Japanese jiu-jitsu, which means it's a takedown with a little bit of work on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I take it down and I get something. You know, so apparently, yeah, you're like, oh, that doesn't work for me. I'll put my back on the ground and I see how it works. Right. So that's what happened. So he started to like, all right, I can stay on the back for a little longer. Yeah. And I guess that's my interpretation of what happened. And he's like, okay, maybe I'll just... Maybe I'm just gonna stay here and don't lose. And actually, he said that a lot. He said, "I'm not sure if you're gonna beat me, but I'm definitely not losing." So that right. was his mentality. So he was like, "Okay, I'll defend myself yeah. until you get tired, and then I'll do something." Boom! Now I'm on the top. Sounds like Italian football. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like yeah, yeah. Defend the goal defend, and defend, occasionally, attack. occasionally attacks. Yeah. yeah. So that's what happened, and that's was his interpretation. And definitely today, it developed within his own its own art. Uh, and of course, the name Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came from a legal dispute between the Gracie family when they moved to America. And the brothers, one of the brothers, tried to patent name to avoid, you know, to make money or whatever their works and patents. And it, it left a lot of the Gracies that were here like, okay, we can't use the name Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because, in theory... We do practice great jiu-jitsu. We yeah. shouldn't even say Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It should be great jiu-jitsu. That right. interpretation, right? Right. So, and then we, we think that the battle, like, all right, so how are we going to make people understand that this is different than Japanese jiu-jitsu, ninjitsu, yu-jitsu, whatever mm. they call it? And there is actually something they teach here is called uh, sport yu-jitsu, J-U, which they actually have right way to write it. But it's very similar to Japanese jiu-jitsu. It's like almost like taekwondo with judo and a little bit of ground. But there's nothing on the ground. Mm. Like our goal is to put you on the ground and stay there. And yeah. within the dispute, someone came up with the idea, oh, it's just called Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and that's how it started. Do you guys, you, I mean, the groundwork being so important, do you ever have a fight where you want to be on the ground? Right? I want to be on the top. For sure. But on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, you right. know, because, so you know, because does it start? Is it like MMA where it starts off yeah. with blows and then no, sometimes yeah. it goes down? Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu essentially it's a non-striking art. Oh, okay. okay, start standing. Uh, you know, my goal is to take you down. So Something. it's all grappling, like yeah, judo. Grappling. Sort of. It's judo. It's judo with ground with longer ground work. So right. in judo, if I take you down. Uh, depends how I take you. Uh, there's the levels of uh, scoring, and then you can even win the fight if I take you down. In jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter how I take you down, it's just two points. And then oh, it goes on from that. And there's illegal, illegal joint manipulations. I can't bend your finger. Uh, certain, some, certain organizations don't allow the certain twist on the knees. Uh, if you're doing jiu-jitsu without the gi, now you have more foot locks and mm. strangles and things like this. You can't like hold the pipe and squeeze it. So you have to use the gi or your hand. So there's a couple of things uh, uh, like that. But basically, it's all grappling. Right. You know? But of course... Uh, when you go to an actual jiu-jitsu school they want to teach you how to defend yourself there is a limit on striking 
because our philosophy behind jiu-jitsu is not to escalate right. an aggression, it's to de-escalate the aggression. It starts with uh, with the negotiation. I always say every argument starts with negotiation. Mm-hmm. Hey, why do you really want to fight? Like, do you really want to do this? Right. You know, and then of course you protect yourself. Everybody say, well, we just punch the person. Well, if you punch the person, now you're in a fight. You know, and you might kill him by yeah. accident, even. You know, yeah. someone falls, they hit their head. It's not so exactly. Hard. So you have to be very, very, very concerned about it. And yeah. that's one of the things that um, I was very, uh, I think I was very blessed when I really got into a street fight was because my first thing that I got home, I said, man, that's like a superpower. If I hurt somebody, I always being very concerned. Like, and I think it goes to the manner is like, okay, why are you so calm? And I actually, I think I'm too calm even. That I even take shit. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather take shit than go to jail. You know, so I, I always try yeah. to, and I say, man, maybe this guy, man, he had a bad day. Maybe he didn't yeah. get an orgasm. I don't know. And maybe he has a fucking gun in his pocket, too. Yeah, you, you know? know, so uh, I was afraid to just, like, lose my mind. Imagine if, like, all of a sudden, all of that calmness just turned into a freaking maniac. Yeah. And I can just, like, for all of a sudden, instead of punch your face, I'll punch your throat. Now you suffocate to death, yeah. you know, or maybe I'll just, like go a look like a like a choke a strangle and i just forget to let go and now you have a brain <laughs> so all those things yeah. really really made me like ponder about do i really want to get into a fight like yeah. is that really worthy my macho just because i didn't fight like like i always ponder about that when i was 15 my kung fu teacher killed his father wow. in a fight who was also a black belt uh so it was re- like for me i mean i was only doing it for I don't know three or four years at that point but I really loved it and for me it was all just like movement and the meditation and Mm -hmm. the the animal movements and all Mm -hmm. this and then when that happened it was like holy fuck like he killed his father like they got angry they got into a fight and now like he's dead and he's in prison and like yeah yeah Yeah, I always pondered this and I I was um, you know I always thought, like, is this our nature, really? Why do we need to fight? And I, and I grew up in an environment that we train fighting every Friday just to make sure if something happens, we know how to defend ourselves. You know, I was like a 12-year-old kid throwing smacks in my buddies because we need to make sure we knew how to protect ourselves. We did, like, gang, when you, gang simulations. Like, okay, three guys against you. What are you going to do? Well, I run for this small guy. Yeah, that's a good strategy. And then we do stuff like that, you know? Like, just in school or just... No, in the academy. School, oh. what I mean, school is the jiu-jitsu school. Oh, okay. You know, so we train that. Right. And then in carnival hits, and it's another shit show. You yeah. know, and people just like, sometimes people are arguing and a guy that has nothing to do with the problem goes and punches the other guy. I'm like, why all that? So I think like when I start to see all this, I start to see things that I didn't want to be Yeah. at an early age. So why do I need to fight? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But I'm still skilled in fighting. <laughs> you know, that was a very, yeah. the dilemma all the time, you know, and, 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 and I would hear people, oh yeah, you know, I punched that dude and people congratulating themselves because they went and sucker punch someone I'm like you're just an asshole like what even honor there is in it and I start to to like what honor there is to punch someone when they're drunk like if I want to fight someone I want to fight for real like okay like you do have a problem let's let's settle this and out of funny things like even my friends you know they would like be in an argument like oh yeah yeah you know like they're very like I talk to each other say okay guys I know you I know you let's do this there's an empty space right there 
let's just go meet you guys and you guys can fight. Oh no, oh no, man, everything's okay. Man, the energy will just change and yeah. I'm the best friend, you yeah. know. And, and, and that's always how I try to perceive life, you know, I say, why do I have to prove? Why do I have to prove I'm a you know better man than this guy in this in this realm? So what propelled you then? If you don't feel you have something to to prove, what made you work so hard? What made you train? What made you risk your ass going out there and and competing? I love it. There's this thing about dude. You couldn't say better, man. That's I think everything. It's like, it's the peaceful warrior, you know what I mean? I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a garden in a war, you know? And I started to study about the samurais and how everything was so gentle, and, but they're like fearful. It's like, and, and also jujitsu is very interesting. It's an art, like, I'm always like figuring out ways to do things better and it's mm. a science, you know? It's also, everybody talks about art. I say, for me, it's a science, how my body can move better, how I can do this better. It's, uh, you. I think the only way, it's like if you try to explain an orgasm, you can't. You need to do it to understand what it is. And right. I've been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. You know, I travel the whole world teaching. Uh, I've connected to the richest, to the poorest, to the craziest, to, to people that have no limbs. I've taught people, paraplegic people. We have programs for like cerebral palsy kids, mm. um, blind people, people that don't have limbs. That's awesome. You know, it's the most adaptable art in the world. And it's like jazz. It's always something different. It's always so you can change it. You, you mentioned can, earlier you yeah. were doing things new ways. It's not like set. This is how you do it. Well, leverage is a science, right? right. Physics. Right. Let's say gravity, anatomy. Leverage, force, anatomy. Right. What changes exactly is the anatomy. So your body, I can teach you something I, which, which I'm experienced now as a scientist of the art, is that there are certain things that are universal, which means connections and frames. Like you have a frame and you have your bone connections. What makes it different? How much muscle you have, how much, and that's the variables in jiu-jitsu, why a technique will work or not. The mm. technique is perfect. We are not. Right. But, you know, it depends on the day, depends on the climate, depends how you wake up, you know what I mean? So when, you I, have a co when you have, you're going to compete with someone, are you looking and sort of like, ah, he's... Like he's got a lot of muscle development in the shoulders, but his hips don't look very developed. So that's a weak point I'm going to exploit. Well, yeah, like you can see their game, how the game is, you know. Um, uh, but everyone has a weak point, their, their neck. That's always going to be the weak point. Once you get close to that, they, they feel this, I don't know how they call it, the chi, the anger. You know, mm -hmm. like when, you like, when you're anxious, you feel this yeah. little <gasps> in your stomach. So I teach people aggressive hugging. It's like you, you appropriate yourself on their energy. I want on my chest in your chest. And now you're like, oh shit, there's a human being on the top of me. And that's universal. There's certain poses and positions they never change. Hmm. But everything until I get that point, it can change so much. So a lot of guys, man, the guy's legs is strong. I say, well, maybe I shouldn't let him lock his best technique because now there's strength there, even though the technique is perfect because I might not be able to deal with that strength. Mm. What type of strength they have. Some people I call nervous strength, like the people that like snatch on you, they're very strong. Uh, some guys are more fluid strength. Like, fuck man, I'm moving here, he's everywhere. You know, uh, some guys try to be faster. Some try, some guys, they just don't move well. So they hold on to your leg and they don't move. So there's, there's yeah. so many styles, you know. Yeah. Imagine how many people in the world, that's how many styles you can probably get. Mm -hmm. You know, because Jiu-Jitsu is a type of art that you take appropriation from it. I'll give you the weapons. Boom, okay, this is a guard pass. This is this. And you're going, okay. 
it can visually be the same pass, but it will never be the same pass. Mm. It's always going to have a little inch here. If you move an inch and a degree, it's a totally complex world. You know? yeah. I think someone was talking about was, was the fraction fraction theory mm. that like you know the time and time and space the change and when you're in jiu-jitsu it's like everything out there is just a totally different reality for you you know whatever's happening at that moment it just you know total focus it can it can literally 10 minutes some fights are like oh shit been 10 minutes no. some fights holy shit oh it's been three minutes only like so you lose that idea of perception of reality yeah. it's such such an interesting thing especially if you're in the state of flow where things move and now you're like oh shit you know where am i sometimes me and my brother train never go on the clock and i'm like oh wow that's well like 20 minutes when we took around an hour and a half mm. and we drip and sweat our yeah. energy just renewed sometimes like it's such a bad day and i said oh, man what was this 45 minutes no it's 10. So the, the, the idea of, of time get very relative. Einstein would, would love jiu-jitsu, I think, because yeah. everything is relative. You know, it depends on the day. <laughs> I'm I, picturing Einstein in a, in a gi. <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I love him. One thing that, that Tony said that I imagine you probably relate to is he said when, you get, when he got to that level of the pros where everybody was a physical phenomenon, mm -hmm. everybody was gifted genetically, mm -hmm. that's when it became mental. Mm -hmm. And some guys can go to the mental level and other guys are stuck at the physical level. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that, that it was, I mean, you're obviously thinking about this mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. and you're really interested in the, the non-physical aspects yeah, of yeah. it, right? I think I, I think I always been gifted to that. My brother called me the Iceman, you know what I mean? And I told him, no, I'm a dry ice because I can burn people. <laughs> uh, because uh, the way I trained and especially having a brother that's fire, it, it made pressure easy for me, mm. you know? That's why I say pressure creates diamonds. I even have like a theory of the diamond, um, you know? And, and for me it was because that idea of pressure from another human being was never matched from what I have experienced. So I'll be in a competition like, this is just a grip. Like the matter of the fight are just useless little bitch grips that someone's doing just to hold me. That guy doesn't want to take my soul. So when I fight, and I, I can see this, and no, this guy don't want to fight me. He doesn't want to eat my soul alive. He doesn't want to cannibal my fucking neck. He just want to try to beat me. I'm not afraid of that. You know what I mean? So the mm -hmm. mental, I'm always there. People like, you know, I get people like, man, how can you like, you fight eight fights, you never, you never blink. Like, it sounds like you're just there. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just comfortable at that level. And then when I start to get older, in injuries, I start to get more interested in yoga, in movement, and ways to breathe, and how can make things better. Because now, now I'm going away from being a fighter and an athlete, and I always been a teacher, to be a full-on teacher, where I need to experience diverse ideas and that I can complement into a single art. And I found out that jiu-jitsu is in everything. Mm. Jiu-jitsu is in yoga. I can literally, if you tell me a subject, I can see, I can tell you where jiu-jitsu can be there because it's about balance, mm. technique, uh, uh, I can say passion versus ratio, can be, you know, science versus art, right. you know what I mean, fire versus water, you can change the elements to see which one wins, you know, which one wins is that little middle line being a human. 
Yeah. You know, and it's always that, that thing. And, and for me, it's super interesting. And, uh, you know, and meeting Concho, that was amazing because the way he moves. And I always felt that my secret in Jiu-Jitsu, you know, the whole Bruce Lee, which was a genius, be water. I'm like, what is be water? Mm. It's to find the path of least resistance. Right. And I always had that in my mind. Okay, if you hold it here, okay. Think that you have that. I'm going to start to just grow here. Right. Now, like, oh, shit, he's going there. Now he lets go of this. Now this is strong. And then I can always make that idea of being everywhere. Just and flow. nowhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? I always yeah. kept that. And then I found yoga. And then I, I started to start the state of meditation. And I found out the most chaotic movement in the world is stillness. <laughs> yeah you know it's yeah. the most chaotic thing can you sit down and not be chaotic in your brain yeah and also based on jiu-jitsu like sometimes when i get to a certain position or a certain pose it's not about moving it's about how can i administrate the chaotic stillness you know i have people like god damn you're not even moving i'm like there's a lot of movement going on brody right there's this energetic aura around me that's totally focus on you there's intention and there's movement you know so there's right. a lot of things going on so it's almost like a, an aggressive tranquility yes definitely yeah you know because the energy comes to intention you know because if you're still you not move you're not putting energy in anything right yeah and like i think we were talking about like when we were discussing mind science we're like, oh yeah because i'm attracting those people because now you have intention that's my belief, right? You put intention on that. Now there's an energy yeah. that goes there. It could be psychological energy, spiritual energy. In our case, it's physical energy within the, 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 the spiritual energy happening at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's super powerful because when I fight people, I can read their intentions. Like, they don't want to do it. They're afraid to do it. And therefore, they, they're not fighting me anymore they're fighting whatever i'm presenting okay here 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 here. they're there now i'm here you know it's beautiful man jiu-jitsu it's it's such a it's such a beautiful thing and, and i'm still discovering uh i love listening to white bells and people that don't know jiu-jitsu what you said today i'm still i'm still i'm still amazed and i'm gonna use that a lot you know uh with my guys to explain the difference between training and competing mm. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people say, "Why can you? How come you can train for so long?" I'm like, "Well, because I train," which means I'm constantly dominant, dominating into people into submission without being toxic. Right. 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 Because it means okay, you move, I move, I move, I move. You beat me technically, okay, you know. But now, which I believe, the toxicality in man comes from that competition, right. that state of competition every day. Because there's no contribution. Because when we're training, I'm contributing to you. You're contributing to me. Because you're giving your best self to me and I'm giving my best self to you. Now, if I have to push it off, now I'm competing. Now I'm using strength. I'm using things that are not into the reality or we agree on. In competition, I don't care. I want to steal your soul. I want to steal your life. I'm going to be a Viking. Because now I'm competing. Because I have to be toxic. I have to make you feel less of a man. I have to make you feel like you, you're not worth being there uh -huh. because those are the part that people don't understand in fighting. Is it possible to cheat in jiu-jitsu? Steroids. Mm. Uh, no, it's, it's such a gentleman sport. Mm. You know, I think, all right, whoever knows jiu-jitsu, maybe know what I'm talking about. There are rules that cheat 
the intent of jiu-jitsu, which is the dominance through submission. Dominate the person, control the person, submit the person. That's the ultimate truth in jiu-jitsu, right? But there are rules that benefit the people that don't want to fight. And I think that's cheating. Mm. You know, but there's no, like like I said, the gripping rules, they're very clear. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to really cheat in jiu-jitsu unless you do steroids and things mm. like this. But there's no, like... You know, if you grab but not ball. once you're there. No, no, like you're gonna poke me in the eye. No, if that's the yeah. favor, you out. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not really. Everybody I know who does jujitsu seems to be like a really uh, humble, kind person. Mm-hmm. Like I've got, I don't know, probably six or seven friends who do jujitsu, mm-hmm. and and they're all really like gentlemen. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's a gentleman sport. Is what made me think of that. And I think I was probably talking with Joe Rogan about it, and he said that's because nobody gives a shit who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're better, you win. Yeah. If you're not better, you lose. Yeah. It's very, very simple. Yeah, we say, um, I think Bruce Lee even mentioned that, it's the art of express yourself honestly. Mm. You put the gi, you cannot lie. Right. If you're lying, meaning if you're not being yourself at the moment, you're cheating yourself. Right, because you're not going to learn. Because you're not going to learn. If you're there to beat me, really, bro, is that what you need here today? You have a job, you have things to work on, and yeah. your idea of success in life is coming here and try to prove yourself? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. Uh, like I said, I was able to teach variables, you know, social classes and things like this, uh, religions and things like this, you know, um, like uh, there's a there's a passage in, in the Quran that say the haram is a, is a sin, right? The woman opening their legs. Um, actually, jiu-jitsu is an obligatory sport in the United Emirates. In the Emirates, really, girls train jiu-jitsu. No kidding. So now right. even that has changed their mentality. I say, like, okay, all right. I know that to say that you can't have a person between your legs, but we are, well, of course they train with only women. Right. So there's no man training with women. Right. Uh, I've been in a room where there are Muslim girls training, but I had a woman that I would teach the woman and she would teach the girls. But I could not, wow. I could yeah. not physically touch the girl. Right. There was one time I kind of lost and I grabbed the girl's foot. And, but I, and the girl was like, very like but then she like, it kept going. And then she like, Sensei, I don't want to say that, but like, I know they don't care, but if someone sees it, it could be a problem for them. Right. You know, she loved that you touch her because you're her idol. Right. But just don't do that. Yeah. And that's the beauty of jujitsu. Like, I can tell like many stories where I felt like very uh, um, how can I say that whatever was happening to me wasn't fair. And I look around as a fucking guy with no legs, so happy. Yeah. Uh, there was this one tournament that I fought, uh, 2002. Uh, so I got my black belt in 2001, and right away I won a Pan Am Championships, right? And I was like, oh shit, you know, I'm the best. I was the best at the time as a black belt. Uh, four worlds, lost. And then the year after, I'm like, I'm going to win. So I um, I did the absolute. So absolute. So jiu-jitsu is the only martial art that there is an absolute division, which I've won twice, which means you fight anyway division. So I can fight a guy 300 pounds or 60 pounds. So I've won that twice. So we call it the double gold. So I've won my weight division. So I'm a five-time heavyweight champion and a two-time absolute champion. So in that year, no one on earth was better than me. So anyway, um, so I fought the absolute, did really good, lost to the champion. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to win the Worlds. 
So I fought the first fight, I beat the first guy really good. I'm like, man, you didn't get tired. Second match, uh, the guy do a, uh, like a sweep on me and it hurts my knee. Dude, I was furious, I was crying. I was like, God damn, God, why you do this to me? I don't deserve this, this is bullshit. Like, you know, when you kind of go- Did you have that. to withdraw? Huh? You withdrew from the competition? Oh, yeah, I could, yeah, I could not. That yeah, 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 yeah. I could not go anymore. And uh -huh. the guy that I lost won two years in a row, and I beat him for my first world championship. So uh -huh. I got him back. Um, so super cool guy. It wasn't his fault. It was more me being, you know, just lack of attention. So I'm doing that reflection of like, damn it, I don't deserve this. Like, why me? You know, like, you that thing, why me? And then why not? You know, again, the idea of fractional theory that like one second could learn a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going up and then my brother like saw me crying, I'm like on tears and then my brother picks me up. Like, I don't want to see people crying I'm, and I'm going up the stairs. So as you're going up, I, I exchange eyes with a guy like this. Little was little like this and I moved away. Little was that period of time. That dude looked to me to such a pity eye, mm. like, like little that consumes me when I even talk about it. Yeah. And then from that moment on, I never was able to complain about anything in my life. I think that moment was a very crucial moment to like, what the fuck are you worried about? Why do you have to be worried about things? You know, I have enough, like I said yesterday. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the guys in the chair, in the, in the, in the stair, he moves away so I can pass. The guy had no legs. And I'm looking at that. And he's feeling bad for you. And he's feeling bad for me, you yeah. know, and I, and I hurt my knee and the guy has no legs. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. And then I met him later and I taught him some stuff, you know, and, and that's what jiu-jitsu is. It's super adaptable. Mm -hmm. It's a very humane, like, like as, as humans, you know, we adapt to anything. We can mm -hmm. eat anything or eyes, I don't know, because mm -hmm. I'm just saying by experience. But, and that's what jiu-jitsu is, is a highly adaptable art. It can be for anyone, but in, in some sort of level you can practice jiu-jitsu any age we have like 80 year old people that still practice jiu-jitsu you know and, and, and he looked at me significantly at that moment <laughs> i'm not quite 80 but thank you no i mean well i looked at you like would be interested to see even you doctor mm, yeah because you know um Meaning that you could try. Yeah. It would be lovely to see what you feel about it. You know, if I were... Because if, actually our conversation is almost a convincing conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I want to talk so much about science, All about right. psychology. You like, read my books, I'll go do jujitsu. Okay, we can uh, get it to you. But honestly, I mean, the problem in my life is I don't stay in one place. I'm always moving around. So I, you know, I, I do yoga here and then I move to Spain. And then mm -hmm. I do Aikido in Spain and then I move to LA. Uh -huh. And it's just like... It's, it's, you know, the way my life is, it's really hard to do one thing for a while. Okay. Even music. I'd love can, to play guitar. Can I make you commit to one week in Austin? Oh, Austin. Everybody's in Austin. Yeah. I am in Austin. Okay. Well, if, if it's with you, of yeah. course. But yeah. that's like... And then what's going to happen is I'm going to teach you. And then you bring a, give you a gi. This is like Eric Clapton teaching me intro <laughs> guitar. I mean... <laughs> so then, what, what I tell people, when if you have a gi... Uh-huh. You're never gonna like a friend and you're never gonna be cold. <laughs> you can bring a gi anywhere in the world. Yeah. There is there's jiu-jitsu in Congo, there's jiu-jitsu in mm. Botswana, there's jiu-jitsu everywhere. 
Right. You go to Spain, just go jiu-jitsu and say, hey, Sean just sent me here. They're going to be like, well, oh, they're either going to try to kick your ass, <laughs> you know, because you're my student, or they're going to uh, be holy shit. And that's right. the jiu-jitsu community. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, that's people, true. I've, I've heard that. People, people be like, hey, they do, go you roll do you need a place to stay? Like, yeah. like, well, you have a floor. Yeah. You have a gi. Yeah. You have a friend. That's all you need. That's all you need. You man. know, and, and it's amazing. And people don't understand why you can talk about jiu-jitsu so much. You know. So let me ask you another question. Speaking of like how it's all over the world, right? And and different cultures and you've taught in all these places. Like I, I love watching soccer, football, right? I lived in Spain for a long time. I, mm-hmm. In Barcelona, you have to love football if you live in Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love watching the World Cup because... The Germans play like Germans. Mm-hmm. The Brazilians play like Brazilians. The mm-hmm. Italian, you know, everybody. You can see the national culture mm-hmm. in the way they play the sport. Mm-hmm. Is that the case with with jujitsu? In a certain level, not really, because I think everyone got a little Brazilianized. Ah, it uh, spread. Yeah. What, what's the Brazilian martial art where they like, capoeira? Capoeira. Is capoeira. there like a capoeira vibe in Brazilian jujitsu? No, no. It's very. It depends. Okay, now is my. I can go into a level of criticism. It's still martial arts, right? We try to bring the tradition from Japan. Some people say, "Fuck this! Why do you bow? Why do you have to wear this color gi?" You know, because when you talk about martial arts, for me, it's a structure. You know, and Brazilians have idea that not structures. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. you know, just do that. Everything's know. easy and yeah, free. Yeah, easy and free. Right. And go, you don't care. And it's funny because the American influence because I was one of the first of my generation to move to America and there was no such things as business. Like literally people call, hey, how much your sheets? $100. Okay, ciao. Hmm. Oh shit, I just lost a customer. So now there's this whole idea of like customer service, what you do. And so it became a, a systematization of the sport because back in the day, there was no names for techniques. Even say, so what are you going to teach you? I don't know. Like but now there's a, there's a process, which is funny because we incorporated the systematization of a method, right? We, we brought methodology to jiu-jitsu, right? Um, you know, some people hid it from, like, who had it and never showed, so it was this whole secret. But then also we brought the, the warmth to the American society, mm-hmm. like Americans hug, and then mm-hmm. they're not so like, oh, I don't touch you, you know what I mean, like that. Now it's coming to a, I don't know if it's because of culture or politics, I don't know what it is, but now it's turning now into a way that, you know, they're like against the Brazilian way, which is not really the formal way, which actually confuses me that way, where a lot of Americans are like, fuck the Brazilian way, you do what you want, you train everywhere, you don't have to wear a patch, you don't have to be like, so how can you be so systematic now you fight against a methodology that was what brought you in the first place. Hmm. So there's this little fight right now going on into people like, you know, Americans be very, oh, this is American jiu-jitsu, we do what the fuck we want. You know, doesn't care if my gi is dirty. I'm like, you know, I was like, what is it? Why do I have to bow to you? Why do I call you sensei? I was like, it's just a formality. You know what I mean? It's just because you're in martial arts. It's a structure. That's why it's martial. Hmm. You know, and people are running away from that, which actually confuses me a little bit. And then it, it sounds very Brazilian, even though they want to move away from it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's that's the part in the sport now that me as like an older, which I've seen all of this happening, I really try to communicate to people, you know, to younger generation. 
and, and I think it's about a lot of the teachers, you know, some teachers, they don't, they don't push that, you know, at the same time, if there's students like do something stupid, like, oh, you're not supposed to do that because you're not honorable, I'm like, you have to practice every day. Mm-hmm. You know, your habits became who you are. You know, you get discipline and then the discipline turned to a habit. You know, now you put discipline in something else because it's already part of you. And I think that's where uh, I think some of this, I think this aggressive competition, toxic environment of competition. And I think it, which is embedded in the American way of doing things is very, comp- it's kind of ruining a little bit the martial art mm. aspect is the formality and stuff. Yeah, Brazilians dominate the, the sport though. Right? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the gi part for sure. The no gi now, uh, which is the submission wrestling part, which is pretty much jujitsu without the uniform. Mm. Um, there is an American um, level now that's it's stepping up to us. You know, with the gi, it's going to be a while. So I think the no gi, again, people that maybe know jiu-jitsu and listen to us will be like, wow, are you saying that? It's, a, it's an easier gateway to be competitive at grappling, the no gi, you know? Do a lot of people now come to jiu-jitsu as a, like a, their intention ultimately is to go into UFC? So jiu-jitsu yeah. is a part of it? Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's guys like, I got people that are like, Oh yeah, I'm 38 years old. And I want to be in UFC. I need to train jiu-jitsu. I'm like, no man, you need to start this way early, uh, because back in the day, which I came to speak to myself, there were fighters. Now we have athletes. Mm, That's a totally different different game. thing. Yeah, you know now the rules. The rule benefits the athleticism more right. than the fighter. If right. you have a fighter that is athletic, great. Khabib, you know, and right. even Conor. Conor was really good at the time. Now he's just... But then he had like Kimbo great. Slice is a fighter. Yeah, he's a fighter. Yeah, he's an entertainer. Now we have the entertainers, which people complain now because, yeah. oh, you know, why whatever Jake Paul is making, you know, $10 million because he's an entertainer. He right. has a following. Well, even Conor McGregor is an entertainer. Yeah, but know? he's a great fighter. He's trying. He got lost a little bit now. Especially, yeah, this yeah. last fight. You know, it's not, it's not that. It's just his attitude. He's you know? such an asshole. Yeah, he, he turned into... He, he ran away from what got him there. Yeah. And I think what, that's what happened with any martial artist. If you, if you run away to your principles, to your intention in the first place, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a formula for, for failure. If you look at Khabib, for example, he, he, he had his intention to do what he did. I said, okay, now I don't want to do now. Now right. he's building other badass guys. No. Right. They offer him millions. And he's like, no, my dad's dead. My dad died, and I don't want to do this without my dad. And that's right. me, because his intention was there. Yeah. And if you don't run away from your intention, that's 90% of success. I, I grew up loving Muhammad Ali, right? Like, to me, Muhammad Ali was the coolest dude mm-hmm. in the world. And yeah. I still think he was amazingly cool. Uh, you know, by, by using boxing to give him a platform to talk about everything mm-hmm. you know war and mm-hmm. injustice and all this um and he also like connor and and some of these other guys he understood how to attract attention mm-hmm. to the event to make more money for everybody mm-hmm. you know bring you know and then also elevate himself mm-hmm. but i feel like so many of these guys are trying to do what muhammad ali did and it gets them into trouble because they're like try and I'm not talking about UFC, art, uh, athletics in general, 
where they're trying to be like, I'm better than everybody. I'm going to kick your ass. I'm the, they forget how he smiled when he said that shit. Yeah, yeah. How he made fun of himself, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, you're not yeah, going to yeah. hit me. My face is too pretty. Yeah, like, yeah. he was making fun of the whole thing. He wasn't just trying to intimidate the other guy. You know? and, and they say, like, Muhammad Ali was the king of trash talk. You say, he did not talk trash. He did not cuss once. Yeah. But if you I mean, look he made at fun of dudes and he tried to, you know, Joe well, Frazier. Yeah, but I understand that. But he never said, we're going to fuck you up. Right. He, he never was, said, your wife your sends wife me DMs. Sends DM. You know, like you know he was the most gentleman asshole <laughs> in, that, in that thing. So yeah. you can't compare it to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? People, uh, the society now, and, and in general, this whole idea of like, I got to say some shit to get viewers, to get likes, therefore get money, for me is wrong energy. It brings yeah. you a lot of karma, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think there's way better ways to empower people. Read, be intelligent. He did, he said so many cool stuff, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and they had this thing, he would talk, never lost his composure, he would smile at you, and, and, and he would kept going, and he had the athleticism, and he had the talent yeah. together. So, yeah. And he had the intention to break you with gentleness. He was a gentleman, and he was gentle on his war. Of course, he made fun, but like I said, he never made it into like the dirty personal. Right. You know what I mean? I think he had an element of like, okay, maybe I don't know who coached him for that. Yeah. You know, but I think he was a highly intelligent human being. He knew how to mess with people's psyche. Did you ever see the documentary When We Were Kings about the fight in uh, Congo? Congo, in Zaire, yeah. Uh -huh. I think I, I watched a long time ago, yeah. Fuck. Hmm. Man. I mean, can you imagine going into a fight where a five round fight where you're going to lose the first four rounds yeah. intentionally, intentionally to let the guy get tired out? Yeah. Like, that's a ballsy fucking move, dude. Especially in striking. Yeah. The difference because one hit you can yeah be because out. in jujitsu and the other thing about jujitsu versus striking that people sometimes understand striking is a lot of lottery. Mm -hmm. Like like Muhammad could be the big great boxer in the world because if I hit him, boom, he's out. And George Foreman, yeah. Like and, and, come on. And, and grappling, there is a systematic approach into it, so you don't lose in grappling by accident. Right? Uh, so point. and also it's a it's a it's a lottery so it he played very hard that lottery game <laughs> yeah. like one thing is like me okay let's go to a fight and i just like i just protect my neck yeah. stay in now you're tired i do something that's still conventional but in boxing man he had a lot of balls and, they, and he moved nobody moved maybe pacquiao got a little there mm. lomachenko moved a little bit um, Mayweather is more like head movement. Muhammad was Muhammad. You can't compare the guy. Yeah, when he put his arms up on the ropes with that fight with George Foreman and just like yeah, juked yeah, around, like yeah. oh man, that was. Yeah, he was such an athlete and gifted. Yeah. He was a gifted athlete, and he he, he took the best out of it. So, him. what do you think? Do you, when you think about Muhammad Ali, do you feel like his life ultimately is tragic, or? I mean, with the brain damage and, you know, the way the last, what, 10 or 15 years were set. There are the consequences of boxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Boxing, you take a lot, like, especially his style. In boxing, people get damaged in boxing because it's a, it's a puffy glove, even though it could be a small glove. A 220-pound man that has a lot of technique punching you. Every punch 
is a shake is a shake up. Yeah. And every boxer is a problem, you know. Yeah. And and I think now with with the evolution of training methods, I think people are getting less punch in the head because they understand now you don't need to spar that much. Mm. Or maybe back in the day they say, oh, you just got to spar a lot. And yeah. his style is very like, he gets hit a lot. And of course, you know, how many fights he had with the monsters he had. And he didn't quit when he, he should have quit. he didn't quit, yeah. yeah. Uh, we different like MMA people, oh, you know, a little brain damage in MMA. I say, well, we take, like MMA guys, we take literally 5% of brain damage that a normal boxer right. with longevity would take because you don't hit as hard right with the small glove because you break your hand well there's that too actually this the glove is to protect your hand not the guy that's yeah. the first principle and also there's so many things you need to train that actually sparring is not the bigger part uh-huh. unless you're just a guy that don't care you see like and also people see like a lot of blood so they think, oh yeah, he got hit a lot. But sometimes like a graze will cut you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of course, there are situations that guy get hit a lot. But still compared to an amateur boxer or a boxer that didn't really fought much, it's still way less. It's way less damage in that way. So I think boxing, that's the problem. Even like NFL players, how many times you they say shoulder first, there is no shoulder first. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of neck injuries, a lot of brain injuries. You know, and I just hope like, you know, eventually with the evolution of the condition of the sport, they they spar a bit less to take less damage in and still 12 hard fights, how many punches you get punched in the face, you yeah. know, and that glow. Were you ever tempted to go into MMA? I did was... two fights. Oh, you did? Uh, okay. I did two fights in Japan, uh, an organization called Sengoku, uh, two wins, two knockouts. <laughs> but uh, the event, uh, when Japan, I think it was a tsunami that happened. I don't know what happened and the economy just went very down. The tournament, you know, they didn't repeat the tournament and then end up like the, the event just failed. And then So I, for you to get into it through like Dana White and all that shit would, I mean, how would that happen? Like you're a world champion in this art. Well, right now at my age, you know, yeah. I'm 40 years old. Unless yeah. he comes in, yeah, you want to come and exchange punches. But it's not my intention, you know. I don't have intention to go there. In 2008, I was 27. That was my first fight in Japan. I, I just won Worlds Absolute again. Uh, they invite me, very high paid. Uh, did what I had to do. And then I was going to go to Bellator at the time. But the contract didn't work for me. I was like, look, I don't need this. Like, you guys are offering some bullshit that I make in two hours. It's like, well, that's what it is. I'm like, okay. And then I didn't do it. Came back to jiu-jitsu and then never really mm. got me like, oh, yeah, I want to fight again. I love training. You know, Rafael yeah. Lovato, which would be here, uh, you know, one of our Bellator champions, uh, you know, he was the champion in Bellator. And then for me, I'm happy for that. Right. You know, as a coach, I got to win a, a, a world title in, in mixed martial arts. So, right. like I said, I don't have any, like... For me, it's this. I love this. I love the community. I love yeah. talking about jiu-jitsu. Uh, if, I, if I go to MMA, I think my figure in jiu-jitsu is very important right now. So I think I, I have a mission to accomplish and I have to stay here. That's good, man. That's, that's uh, wisdom. I like that. I like, well, that's that story about enough, right? <laughs> like when you have enough, you have everything. That's, that's yeah, it. You don't you know, need to chase it anymore. Yeah, you know, like right now, my only goals in life, I'm building a school and building an association because I think people need opportunities like right now i have everything i need if i acquire more wealth is maybe to all right buy a range so i can get more people in you know what i mean so i want to get more wealth so i can get more people into their wealth and then i can share with them you know yeah. uh, i'm not worried about like no this is all mine you know i want to walk around and i walk around my 
10 fighters in 10 years and they all six figure champions you know what i mean like that's that's how i see wealth in my in my in my idea you know and then have some way i want to build a jiu-jitsu school okay those are the elements you know these are the people these are the websites this is what you do these are the people that you talk to you know i think that's my my main goal now is how can i share the knowledge the wisdom and turn that into people's wealth because right. i think that's what's important and i think as many people we can teach the right ways of jiu-jitsu that's my wealth right you know what i mean when i see people Oh, I train jiu-jitsu because I watch your podcast. Oh, right. Great, you know, yeah. someone else it's 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 is building a life. Yeah, sometimes I, when I was young, I uh, I felt like I was taking too much. Like I mm -hmm. was just having all these experiences, and you know, just and all these older people were helping me, and you know, just I was traveling a lot, so people mm -hmm. were like, "Yeah, you can sleep here, and here's some food, and mm -hmm. you know, meet this guy." And I, I start, I felt guilty, like I'm taking too much, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, somebody said to me, like, when you're young, you breathe in. And then you get older and you breathe out mm -hmm. and you give. Yeah. And it feels just as good. It feels just as good, yeah. And it's like, you just like feel the natural rhythm of mm -hmm. it, you know? Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're kind of like, yeah, I've won everything I've wanted to win. And now I'm going to yeah, spread I'll, this shit around. I'll help people to win. Why do you want to win? Yeah. When I win a competition, <laughs> I'll, find, I'll, I'll teach you the way. Yeah. But work is yours. You yeah. want to win and be in a CESF Academy? This, this, this is what I do. I go all over the world and I adapt the cultural aspects of business and how they can adapt to my martial art without corrupting the art. Right. And I think that happens a lot, you know what I mean? People so is your school open in Austin? Uh, it's about to be open. August, August 2021, that's oh, when it starts. sweet. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. What's Thank the name of the school? Uh, Six Blades Jiu-Jitsu. In Austin, Texas. So anyone listening to this in Austin who wants to get in touch, there's a website. Yeah, sixbladesjujitsu.com. It's right. uh, six, like the number six, and then blades, like blades. Uh, jujitsu.com all right yeah you can Sweet. find me there well listen we've been talking for an hour and i know you're expected out in the dojo That's i don't okay. want to keep you i'm i'm the, the everyone the alpha. wants your time i'm the alpha gorilla here so <laughs> <laughs> thank you brother oh thank you so much this is my pleasure uh, to be able to share uh hopefully you can have a week off and uh yeah Come with me, come all right. to Austin. If that's we, an invitation, definitely I cannot invitation. say no. invitation, you know, we do a little, maybe we, we go to some coffee, get you talking to people, because uh, <laughs> I think your work is very important. It's being very liberating to me. Oh, thanks, uh, and I think everything that makes you think about options in life without taking personal, I think a lot of people like, um, you know, when they read something, they take that as offensive. And I think people need to learn how to like, hey, this is just data. Right. Let's see what I do with this data. Yeah. Like you said, you know, well, this is good for you, but maybe not good for me. But here's yeah. some options. Right. You know, and I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for, for, for being here. For me, this is a gift. I feel blessed in my life. Well, I hope to... maybe it'll bring some students to the school. Well, uh, it's it's a great opportunity to get in in the ground floor too. You're yeah, just opening. Just opening. Uh, awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of people looking for it. Uh, a lot of people are moving to Austin to come and train with me, uh, uh, nice. and definitely empower people, make people safe, and bring the sense of community. Damn, mm -hmm. you know you're a good teacher when people are like, "I'm moving to Austin to train with you." Yeah. That is yeah, a, yeah, that's that. such an honor. There was one guy he texted me and he's like, "Hey, you know, because of COVID, my company is, is removing, and uh, they're are you really opening school in Austin?" I'm like, "Yeah, well, me, my wife, and my three kids train." I'm like, "Okay, uh, where do you leave?" I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, are you going to leave New York school?" I'm like, "Yeah, where's your school at?" And I send him, "Well, okay, now I know the neighborhood I'm leaving at." 
so he would leave into the he moved to the neighborhood so he can train me wow you know and that says a lot you know like i think i think when i see this this these experiences and how people even here you know like you see these young girls and couples they come here just to learn jiu-jitsu and i'm, I'm not used to that yeah like still like people i usually i go to people and you know they do a seminar so that's easy now i have people like flying across the world to yeah. learn what i have to like say crazy. You know, it's amazing. It means that I'm putting a vibration out there and a frequency that people can relate to that. And then if these people, they can come here and learn one thing, I think it's it's worth it. And I think uh, I'm, I learn a lot. I learn a lot by teaching. I think when you teach something, you learn a lot. And I love camera. And, and like I said, I couldn't, I can't, I can't be more thankful enough to, to be able to be here and talk to you and listen to you uh -huh. these days. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, man. Right. This is awesome here at uh, what's it called Budokan 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 uh, Big Sky that's Big how Sky in right Montana. in uh, Montana yeah it's funny I, I was telling Cameron like I don't normally like it, you know sometimes like someone's on the podcast and they have a book or whatever and we talk about the book but I don't normally say you gotta go buy this book mm -hmm. but man anybody who's interested in jujitsu, this is an awesome place oh yeah it's such a great opportunity and these great teachers coming through mm -hmm. and you're in beautiful space and beautiful yeah. people and it's just it. so feel, chill it feels so uh, it's all green it, it, i think that's what people need the people need nature nature they need, they need yeah. here you learn about community like in one two days everybody's hugging it out and yeah. it's all you know there was this one guy like uh, he came in and said well I'm kind of having a little issue. I'm like, what? I don't know if I hug. If I don't hug, I say, bro, come here. Hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just be you. Just yeah. be you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's a great opportunity. Cameron and Melaine, they're amazing. I just love how I feel even spoiled because I just see these great people come close to me. Yeah. And, and Jiu-Jitsu did that. And, and uh, you know, they do these camps and they teach people yoga. And camera is very unconventional for the you know, normal idea of a conventional <laughs> person. For he, sure. he, he has no filter. He is who he is. Yes, and he'll, he'll make you like, huh? Well, did he just say that out loud? Did he just say that out loud? <laughs> you know, and that's, I think, what people need. And, uh, yeah. And uh, when he said you were coming, I was like, dude, it couldn't be any better. So uh, thank you so much awesome. for the opportunity to talk to your viewers. Um, you know, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And I uh, hope we'll see you at soon. Well, I'm going to train jujitsu and become a UFC fighter. That's that's what I'm going to do. Well, you can be. <laughs> there is a Masters World Championship because jujitsu. We need a senior. Well, they changed that. Oh, it used to be seniors, but they say, no, don't call it senior because we still fight. Like, okay. <laughs> so you don't retire in jujitsu to become Masters. Uh, so I'm officially actually Master 2. Oh. Almost Master 3, which is from 41 to 45 years old. So you can fight people that age. And then like above 60, you're Master Bates. <laughs> All right. we'll end on that cool. thanks brother Love you guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Tangentially Speaking if you did, if this podcast brings value to your life, I hope you'll consider supporting it financially either through my website tangentiallyspeaking.com uh, where you can make a one-time donation or sign up for a monthly subscription as low as five bucks a month, which gets you access to all the eBooks and uh, video Roma that I record pretty much every month. If people ask me questions uh, and other bonus materials, um, and also keep in mind that this is one of the only podcasts that you listen to. I would bet that doesn't have commercials almost all the time. Very rarely do I use commercials. 
And I never just accept commercials from a commercial broker or someone, you know, I get emails all the time, people saying, oh, let me monetize your podcast. No, thanks. So if you enjoy this podcast, if it brings value to you, I hope you'll consider supporting it financially. The introductory music is called Bright Side of the Sun. It's by Basin and Range. And now I will turn you over to my mom and the great Carsey Blanton singing Smoke Alarm. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies, or koozies, or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say to the ground. 